All right, our scripture this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these spaces, pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Thank you, Cindy. Hey, I too want to spend just a moment here thanking our wonderful team. Our staff did an unbelievable job. Christina, our director, our kids director, was able to, unable to make the first good portion of the camp due to an uh, untimely illness. Um, but it was just a real testament to uh, her gift and skill to set the table for the team to just go and run with it. But along with that, uh, Christina, not to be confused with other Christina, <laughs> Christina Zatelli, uh, Cindy, and Lauren, uh, together with all the wonderful team, uh, really pulled off a wonderful, wonderful event. Can we in particular say thank you to these guys? Because I also want to call out Jojo. Jojo, Christina, you saw her up there on the stage. She was up there being a rock star, true, true, true form. So thank you guys for your ministry. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into our teaching today. Father, we're just so blown away uh, at what we've seen you do. And that's from our limited vantage point uh, this last week through camp. Thank you for each of these little ones that you entrusted us uh, with to have a good time. Thank you for keeping everybody safe, healthy. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, take the lessons that we're learning and let, let those be seeds that take root. Uh, because really at the heart of it, and we're going to even be talking about that today as adults, it's what the kids learned this week. You're an awesome God. Uh, you're stronger than anything, including death. And that is, that is the best news ever. And so, Father, I pray that that would sink into these little ones' hearts. I pray that it would sink into our hearts. In some ways, it's harder for it to sink into our hearts than theirs. 
But Father, it's because of that we ask for your spirit, which we know has more than the power to, to make that happen for us. So, so that's what we pray, your spirit to have his way in our hearts and our lives today and going out from today into, into our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God, why aren't you providing? Like, wh why aren't you showing up in the midst of all these challenging things I'm facing? Like, wh where are you? I feel like these are questions that we often find ourselves asking. These are questions that are not academic in nature. Uh, they're very often raw. And we, and we really sense them, feel them to our core. God, why aren't you providing? You know, for me, I remember when we started Current, uh, there's a lot of fun parts, exhilarating parts of starting, starting this church, but there's also a lot of pressures and stresses and challenges, and all of that just happened to coincide with this illness that I had that I couldn't put my finger on. Test after test couldn't. Doctor after doctor couldn't. It took a few years to finally figure out, okay, it's this rare form of, of of uh, arthritis that I have. And meanwhile, this church is trying to get up and going, but my body's deteriorating, all that sort of stuff. I was asking all the time throughout that, God, why aren't you providing? And the undercurrent of that was a little bit of, and I'm doing my part? Why aren't you providing? Where are you? My brother right now, his little one, my nephew, a couple days old, newborn, a couple weeks old, is in the ICU fighting for his life. It'll be a miracle if he makes it out. God, where are you at in that? You show up, why aren't you providing? Uh, many people ask this question, maybe this is you, and you're not even a follower of God. You don't even see yourself as a theist. Maybe you see yourself as, as an atheist. But that's the prayer that maybe you'll shoot up from time to time. God, if you're even there, little help. I imagine for many people who've been following God for a long time, following Jesus for a long time, you ask that question in whatever form or fashion. Maybe you're asking it right now. God, where are you at in my career? Where are you at in my marriage? Why aren't you providing that breakthrough? Or the community, I just feel like I really want or, or I need. Like where? And, and when it comes to health, I know a number of you are asking that question for yourself or for loved ones. Turns out this is a question that a lot of the earliest people of faith were asking. God, why aren't you providing? It's a question that the patriarch of the faith, Abraham himself, asked this question multiple times in this text alone in his own way. God, where are you at? Why aren't you providing? And it's really incredible, therefore, that we have this very ancient but very relevant text to help us understand how we can turn to God when it feels like he's not showing up, when he's not providing. God, our provider, is today's thought as we continue this Knowing God series. We see in Abraham's life that it was in that place of, God, of Abraham wrestling through this very question that God met him there and answered him and gave us, therefore, some really helpful things to equip ourselves in these times in a profound and surprising way. So let's just jump right in. But we're talking about today how God provides for us and how we can meet him as Abraham did and, 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 and experience some incredible uh, breakthroughs if we'll just receive it. Abraham is first introduced to us in Genesis 12. So our scripture text today is Genesis chapter 15. He's first introduced to us back in 12. Real quick, he's actually at this part of the Bible known as Abram. Later, his name will be 
changed by God to Abraham. I'm going to be saying Abraham. I just, I just do that. But if I say one or the other, same dude, right? Okay. But back in Genesis 12, we're introduced to Abraham. And really, it's, it's quite fascinating if you think about it. Because Abraham is a guy, not just Christians, not just Jews, millions of, millions of people around the planet look to him as kind of like the patriarch of their faith. You would think with that kind of like pedigree, this, this guy would have had a, an incredible introduction. You know what his introduction essentially is in Genesis 12? He's just some guy out in Ur, the Chaldeans, modern day Iraq, just doing his thing. Nothing like, here's this great man of God. His introduction was, God showed up and said, hey, Abraham, I want to do something with you. And the promise there was essentially twofold. I'm I'm going to bless you with descendants, as numerous as the stars are in the sky. And I'm going to bless you with the land, the land of Cana. It's going to be the promised land. Like the, I'm going to bless you in those two ways. And Abraham was like, okay, I'm in. So she started following God, okay? So that's Genesis 12. And then the end of Genesis 12 into to where we are today, 13 and 14, to all the way up to where we are in 15, was Abraham just starting to live that out, follow God. And just so you know, he didn't do all that great of a job at it. A famine hit, he went to Egypt. I don't have time to get into all of it, but he like thought the Egyptians, Pharaoh especially, was gonna look at his beautiful wife, Sarah, and kill him to get her. And so he said, why don't you call me your sister? You know, and it was all kind of weird stuff. God blessed him, took care of him, was gracious, brought him through that. And then in Genesis 14, uh, his, his nephew Lot gets into trouble. And so you go with, with these warring people groups of the time. This is 2,000 years before Christ, mind you. Okay, so all these warring people, these tribes, all sorts of, and so Abraham sets out and like go, does battle with them. God provides, protects them, okay? So years and years pass. We don't know exactly how much time, but lots of time has passed. Lots of hard circumstances have passed. Brings us to Genesis chapter 15, really a key chapter, really in all of the scriptures. But the setup here is Abraham is thinking, God, why haven't you provided? Lots of time has passed. Lots of things have taken place. But still, these promises, this provision that Abraham has been waiting for hasn't taken place. And what's more is he's, he was already up there in age, old guy, when he received the promise to begin with. Now he's even older, and he's just thinking, why? What's going to happen? And it's in this space that God meets him again. And that's where God meets him again. And here's what I want you to notice, though. Where God meets him, how God meets him is right off the bat. Because where God does not start is saying, Abraham, I know you're thinking about these things. I know I promised these things to you. Here's how it's going to work out. He covers that. We're going to cover that. Genesis 15 includes that. But that's not where he starts. So think about that. Abraham is in this place wondering, God, why aren't you providing? God is God. He knows that's in Abraham's heart and mind doesn't start there. Here's where he starts. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. It is so striking to me that God does not start with saying, hey, I know you're thinking about your descendants. You're up there in age. Let me talk about that. God does not say, hey, I know you're thinking about the land I've promised you. You're not, you haven't gotten that yet. Let me, let me tell you about that. He has it in mind. He's going to get there, but he doesn't go there at all at first. Instead, he starts with something infinitely greater. Now, I, I try real hard not to use hyperbolic language. Like, I don't like hyperbole. Uh, but to make the point, God starts with Abram with something far, far beyond measure, greater than those things that Abraham's thinking about. He's just like, God, why aren't you providing 
Let's let that sink in for a second. Whatever you or I might be thinking, God, why aren't you providing this or that? Probably doesn't compare to what Abraham was waiting for. Wouldn't you say? I mean, in terms of promises, I think he probably wins. I mean, unless you have like some major thing that you're thinking about that goes beyond like descendants as many as the stars in the sky or land. You know what I'm saying? It's like whatever you or I are probably thinking about, God, why aren't you providing? It probably doesn't compare to Abraham in terms of what he was waiting on, what he was hoping for, what he was had on his mind when he was thinking essentially, God, why aren't you providing? And yet what God came and said to Abraham, as great as his promises or, or you know, thoughts for, for longing for is better than our own. He says, I have something even better. I am your shield. I'm your very great reward. The first thing we see here is that far greater than the provision, we get the provider. I mean, this is so central. We just heard that little slideshow where the kids are singing, God is awesome. I mean, they weren't singing about, hey, these are all the wonderful things he does for me. They could have been singing for that. They were just saying, man, he is awesome for for who he is. And what God was saying is, Abraham, hey, we'll we'll get there. He didn't say that, but he's like, that's coming. But I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Cindy talked a little bit about this last week, but in our culture, it's very easy to have as our very great reward to be the American dream or some version of it, right? Health, wealth, prosperity. Comfort, security, beauty. You could put any number of things on there. Like, oh God, I just want that. Why aren't you providing? But what the scriptures teach us is if that is our ultimate aim, if that's what we're just like, if that's what, man, if we could have that, then if that's our ultimate aim, the scriptures say, then we are selling ourselves infinitely short. And for what that matters, those things are only ever temporary at, at, at best. He instead is our shield. He is our very great reward. Our kids, as they're getting older, they're now 10 and 8. They are learning that they can ask for more things. Recently, they asked for iPhones. <laughs> Thank you for laughing quickly at that, because I, I just think that's laughable. Eight and 10-year-olds asking for iPhones. Now, if you're a parent, you've given your kid an iPhone, I am not judging. I'm kind of judging. No, I'm not judging you. <laughs> not judging you. But they are seriously coming. They're in elementary school. Like, our friends have iPhones, and I guess they do. You better believe Cindy and I are pulling out the classic, well, when we were your age, we didn't have iPhones. Because we're not giving them iPhones. I mean, I, you, know, you know what I mean? It's like, okay. So they're asking for more and more things. You know, and hey, we're their providers, right? We're their providers, and we could give them different things. Whatever they're asking for, we could add a, add a drop of a hat. We can get them different things, but we're not just doing that, right? Whether it's an iPhone, whether it's, you know, ice cream, whatever it is. We're not just doing that. What are we doing? Well, as they age, we're starting to think about this, hopefully, a little bit more thoughtfully. So, for instance, one of the things we've done is we've started chores and, you know, allowance, and that's partly to teach them responsibility. It's also to help them to learn how to discern how to use money uh, so that if they think about those things, maybe they can think about what it means to, like, go ahead and go and get those things that are just dropping in their lap, that kind of thing. But also helping them think about, like, what it means to tithe and give back a portion of what, like, so there's a lot of things all caught up in the midst of this, all around the thought of them uh, around provision, Right? And so what we're trying to do as their providers is, is not just drop things in, in life, because life doesn't work that way. And look, if I as a parent am, am so <laughs> imperfect, but understand that I'm trying my best to think about, you know, our kids, Cindy and I together, as our kids in that, how much more is God thinking about that as our provider? 
And how much greater, by the way, is the chasm than between our kids and us than me and God as I'm crying out, God, why aren't you providing already? Far greater than the provision. We get the provider. God came up to Abraham and said, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. What can we do with that? I just want to real quickly just think about this before we keep moving. It seems to me as we start to think about what this means for our lives, is we, we ought to practice lifting our eyes. I, I encourage you to, to practice lifting your eyes, because if you're like me, what I can do when I'm focused on so much things, like, God, why aren't you providing? I can realize that my eyes are fixed on me, my problems, what's hard for me. We're going to talk about that. God cares about that. Hang on. But I think there's a, a place to start here and recognize that there's an opportunity to lift our eyes and see, look, this goes completely over Abraham's head, as we're going to see it here in a moment. This wonderful promise that far greater than anything, Abraham got God. But boy, that's, that's, that's me. Imagine that's you. Practice lifting your eyes. Because here's one of the things, when we lift our eyes, and, and, and it seems to me it's no coincidence that the scriptures use that language, that metaphorical language to help us understand these things. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Let us fix our things, not on things below, but on things above. When we lift our eyes, sometimes when we look at God and we understand him for him, it can help us actually have perspective for the things that we're, we tend to focus our, our eyes on normally. Is this making sense? Meaning sometimes the pain, and I don't just say this academically as I go through this with you, the pain of whatever we're crying out to God for, why am I not getting this? I don't have this, and this is hurtful, and this is painful. I want it. can actually be a gift because it helps us see where we're actually not looking to him, but we're looking to other things to satisfy practice lifting our eyes because infinitely greater than the provision we get the provider that's the first thought the second thought is even in the midst of all of this and abraham missing it god is so graciously he's so exceedingly gracious with our doubts so god comes and says i am your shield i am your very great reward and abraham says oh you're right god my bad <laughs> you're right i'm so focused on this promise when i should be focused on you who makes the promise no that's not what abraham says at all okay god says i'm your shield i'm your very great reward verse two but abram said any parent can tell you the words but dad or but mom you know things are going downhill real quick by the way look at verse eight shows up again sort of noting here I'm so thankful that Abraham had a but statement there. But, but, but. I'm so thankful because that's real. That's my faith. More than I care to admit or recognize. Imagine that's many of your faith. That's, it's, it's, it's a real faith. God, why aren't you providing? But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my, uh, inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children. <laughs> Talking to God here. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Here's what amazes me of this text. Not just that it flies, you know, this wonderful promise that God is his shield, his very great reward. Here's what surprises me. Not just that Abraham misses that, flies overhead. It's how God responds in, re in return. 
Because God does not go on to say, now hold up, time out, Abe. Like, really? I just, pro- I just told you that you get me. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And you're still whining about how everything's going to work out? But God doesn't do that. I mean, that's what's most mind-boggling to me. It says in verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to Abraham, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. That is so exceedingly patient. That is so exceedingly gracious. What is God doing? God is responding. He's meeting Abraham on his level. Abraham's still caught up on the, the provision and lack thereof. Totally missed that. It's about the problem. He's got God who's going to work things out. Oh, my goodness. Totally missed it. But God doesn't just go, you know, I've got to put you in your place. I'm done. He said, okay, okay, then let's talk about that. Why? Because God cares about what you and I care about. We might be missing things completely. It's often true. And yet, he doesn't just like try to get at us and just fix us all. He cares about those things. He wants to help us along, but he meets us there because he's patient. He's gracious. Even when we doubt, Abraham, the patriarch of the faith, but God, how? This is the character of God. He's exceedingly gracious. He cares about things. Even we, uh, even things that we care about that might not be for our best, but we don't, and we might be confused by them or not understand them or whatever it is. He doesn't get defensive. He can handle it. He wants you to bring it to him. And it, he meets us there. Loves us there. He's not looking to kind of beat you over the head. If you're hurting in your marriage, wanting to expect a breakthrough or whatever, God cares about that. Wants to meet you there. If you're hurting lack of marriage, you just want that special. God cares about you there. Wants to meet you there. Your health and your job situation, your housing search or whatever it is, as stressful as that is, God cares about it. Because you care about it. He cares about it because he loves you. I mentioned earlier that my brother's newborn son, Asa, is in ICU right now. He's born with cleft palate. I'm not a doctor, but cleft lip is when it's just kind of more aesthetic thing. Cleft palate can actually affect your whole system. And he's had some seizures. He's, he's had really high blood pressure. Please pray for me as I go through this example. Uh, you know, and he's in, he's in the ICU. And uh, it's just really hard. You know, he's just fighting for his life. And, uh, you know, they're just really in the ringer right now. And I, hey, my brother actually also is jaundiced right now, which is crazy. His wife, Kristen, uh, my sister-in-law, she has high blood pressure after the, the delivery. That's not good. She has to be on medication for their older, their oldest son has some weird infection. Uh, they are reeling right now. And you know what? It hasn't been lost on me. Here's the, Peter and Kristen made a decision uh, early on in their lives to, to train to be doctors, specifically surgeons in third world countries to help kids with things like cleft palate. Like they actually found each other by going on a Christian dating site for overseas missionaries. I was like, there's probably only two people on there. <laughs> well, it worked. They found each other. Like literally, like... I literally said those words, but it, you know, I was driving home from a wedding yesterday and I called my brother and, uh, 
he just was saying, I'm so grateful for the Lord's kindnesses and all of it. I'm like, I didn't say any of this. I'm just thinking, like, man. He said, one of the real gifts here is so many people are praying for little Asa. So many people are praying for And he said, if Asa survives, there's got to be something really special for him. Because he just has so many people praying for him. Like, I can't help but think that blessing will be carried in his future. And if he doesn't survive, survive. My brother said, you know, it's going to be okay. Life is so short. It's far shorter than we tend to think it is. And God cares in all of that. And you know what? So much of what life is, so much of what life is, is dealing with pain and challenge, which the scriptures don't try to write off as just like, hey, they might happen to you, or hey, if you follow me, it'll be better. And actually, in some ways, you said, if you follow me, things will get harder for you. It'll be more of a challenge for you. You're going to be more tempted to say, God, why aren't you providing? But you know what? No matter what can come at you, I love that song, God, or the, the theme that we talked about, that God is awesome. He is stronger even than death. Because, hey, death is coming, you know? I mean, that's, that's a hard one to face, so to speak. But even there, we have God. You know, and through through him, if we have a relationship with him in, into eternity. These other things are they're temporary. And God says, if you see me, if you understand that I am your shield, I am your great reward, you will be grounded no matter what you face. All that stuff is gonna come at you, and I'll take care of some of you. You won't even know a lot of the stuff I take care of you from, but I will be your provider. All oh, that's what you gotta rest in. Which brings us to the last and final point is that God can be trusted. I don't want you to miss this point because I've kind of put it generically here. What the force of what we're saying here, I, I believe you see from the text, is that God can be trusted, meaning you can take it to the bank, so to speak. This point is not just trust God. It's no, he can be trusted. What do we mean by that? Well, that's what the rest of this text, I believe, is kind of getting at. In verse 7, God gives Abraham... Uh, his word. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of her, out of the land of the Chaldeans, to give you the, this land to take possession of it. So for starters, God to Abraham gives him his word. I am the Lord. You would think that would probably be good enough. Here's the one who brought the world, the universe into existence by the power of his word. Verse 8. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Uh, you know what he's saying. He's like, I need proof. And God said, all right, two strikes, I'm done. No. God doesn't miss a step. So the Lord said, verse 9, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them into two, and arranged the halves opposite to each other, the birds. However, he did not cut in half. What is going on here? Remember, this is... 2,000 years before Jesus, 4,000 years ago, okay? We have no idea, 21st century, if we haven't considered these things before, what was going on. But Abraham knew exactly what was going on because this was custom at the time. What would happen is you'd go out, two parties, if they were coming into an agreement, they would get these animals. Sounds kind of weird to our ears today, but they would, they would kill them. They would put, separate the carcasses. And what they would do is they were making a, what's known as a covenant. Now, that word is actually in our text. To use a more modern uh, thinking of it is a contractual agreement, 
okay? They would walk through these carcasses and basically restate the terms of the agreement and say, and may it be done to me like these animals if I don't uphold my end of the deal. Does that make sense? Uh, that's what they do. And, and, you know, we do it similarly, although we're much more whatever today. And we will say, hey, I, I give you my word, but some, sometimes that's not good enough. We need to sign. That's what they were doing, but in a far more symbolic and powerful way. May it be un, unto me like these animals if I don't uphold my end. Abraham prepared this contract ceremony, if you will, then presumed, okay, God's going to show up. We're going to walk through this thing. But then the most astonishing thing happens. Verse 12 tells us, God put Abraham into a deep sleep, quote, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And instead of God and Abraham walking through this, these animals, God walks through alone. What was this contractual agreement? What was this covenant? It was essentially God saying, I will be your God and I will be faithful to you. And Abraham was figuring, okay, this means I will be, and, and, and the future descendants that you are promising to me, we will be collectively together, we will be your people, and we will be faithful to you. Only God walked through alone. Here's what that meant for Abraham. Here's what that meant for you and me. God was declaring then and there that he would uphold both ends of that covenant. This was a foreshadow to the cross. That Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, would come into this world and live the life that we ought to live but don't live and die the death that we, de we deserve on our behalf. It says that a dark, a thick and dreadful darkness came over Abraham. Well, that's what Mark tells us in, in chapter 15 of his gospel account of Jesus. At noon, darkness came over Jesus when he's on the cross. And then Isaiah 53, talking specifically about the crucifixion of Messiah, said, For he was cut off from the land of the living. For his transgression of my people, he was punished. Of course, we understand the symbolism of Jesus' blood shed for us. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for Abraham and all his descendants, all the people, we are told, who would receive God by faith. He upheld not only God's faithfulness to us there, but also our lack of faith, our unfaithfulness on our behalf. That's why Paul could write 2,000 years later to the early church, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said, so shall your offspring be. This is why it says it was accredited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written, not for him alone, but also for us, to, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us, who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The key verse, it seems to me, and Paul seemed to believe, actually, Hebrews, a lot of writers in the scriptures point back to Genesis 15, uh, uh, verse 6, that says, Abram believed the Lord and God credited to him as righteousness. If God's covenant to you and me is to be faithful to us and Jesus be faithful on our behalf, even when we sin, if we receive what he did for us on the cross, forgiveness of sins, if that's what he's done, what do we bring to the table? Essentially nothing. We didn't walk through. Abraham didn't walk through. We bring faith. We bring trust. If you're here today and you've never received this what's known as the gospel or good news. It's this, that God 
your shield and very great reward if you would receive him, would have you. And he made that possible by sending his son to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. And all it takes to receive him is to say, thank you, I received that, I believe. Now, if you're here today and you are a follower of God, I don't want you to miss this part of it. Because notice that Abraham doesn't just hear, believe in God. Abraham believes God. To any of you followers of Jesus, perhaps you've been following him for a long time. I, I know I've experienced this. You believe in him, but sometimes you have trouble, trouble believing him. God, why aren't you providing? I've been there many times. Abraham was there, patriarch of the faith. But God can be trusted. Not just because of some ancient ritual of walking down, but because we have Jesus. Abraham believed God and was able to go, okay, I'm in. Through a vision. And we might over here be like, man, it's kind of cool that Abraham got to talk literally with God. Got this vision. But he didn't have Jesus. We have Jesus. And so therefore we know we can trust God. He can be trusted. Here's what's amazing to me about this text. Maybe you're saying, oh man, I see this. And I realize this is me, but how can I, how can I trust God? Because even that's hard for me. Well, if that's you, you're in good company with Abraham. Because that's, look, Abraham's like, but God, but God, all the way. But this text shows us where God meets us. Because where does God meet us when Abraham says, hey, I'm, I want to have faith, essentially he's saying. But I don't know how. There was this man who came to Jesus. This is one of my favorite stories. This man who came with a sick son, brought him to Jesus, said, will you heal? Can you, can you heal my son? And Jesus said, can I heal him? Yeah, I can heal him if you, if you believe. And the guy responds, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's where Jesus, and Jesus healed him. He didn't go, oh, not enough faith, sorry. Which is what he's been doing since Abraham. What Abraham shows us is those who think they can see are blind. But those who say, I think I'm blind, are the ones beginning to see. That's what this faith looks like. It says, I don't, I don't think I have faith. I want to have faith, but I'm not sure. That's the faith that goes to God, incidentally, for God. For him. Not just for the provision that he can give, which, by the way, he cares about. It's looking to him and saying, God, I, I don't have it. I want to follow you. I don't quite, I, I resonate with Abraham here. And notice, that was more than enough for God to work on. He cares for you. He cares about what you're facing. Some of you guys are facing really hard things. I know. Just remember, God says to you, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Let me end with this verse, which is far greater than that covenant ritual that Abraham got to experience with the living God that day. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Let's pray. Father, you are our provider, and you have provided for us in so many ways far greater than we deserve. But not least of which, by giving us not just yourself per se, but your son. And not just in some sort of way, 
but his life so that we can have life and so that we can also be assured that you truly are our shield, our great reward. Because our shield is not just against the hard things in this life that we face this or that. No, it's against our greatest enemies. That is the, the, the enemies of sin and death. You shield us from those enemies as well as many others. But we're so thankful for that. Forgive us that we often are so caught up in the provision. Why are we in the provision already? And thank you so much that even when that's our response, you meet us there in love and grace and patience. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we can receive you by faith. I pray that if there's anybody here today who's never received it, that they could make that moment theirs now like some of these kids this last week. In fact, if you're here today, I want to give you a chance. You could say these words to the Lord in your spirit. Lord, I want to receive you. I receive what you did for me on the cross, the forgiveness of sins. And I believe that the Father raised you again on the third day, therefore conquering sin, conquering death, that I may have life forever with you. We love you, Lord. Please help us in all this. Please help us be as church to point not just to your provision, but to who you are as our provider. Praise in Jesus' name.